It's episode 143 of the Improv London podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Moses, and this week's guest is Rob Norman. Hey, Stuart. Hi, Rob. How are you? I'm doing so well, and I was so impressed that you took room tone at the beginning (laughs) of the episode. I was like... This guy is serious about podcasting. I know, and I suddenly thought, oh, I'm sitting here in silence for 10 seconds. I'd forgot to mention that I was going to record Room Tone, <laughs> but because you're a professional, you knew all about that. Oh, that's cool. Um, welcome to London. I'm here, baby. I did it. <laughs> We're recording in the, the uh, Situation Room in the nursery. Thanks once again to the nursery for the continued support. Of the Improv London podcast. And the Backline podcast. And the Backline podcast. We're doing an incredible cultural exchange right now, (laughs) and the nursery is sponsoring it all, so thank you, nursery. This is so great. For those of you that haven't listened, tell me about the Backline podcast. The Backline podcast is a weekly podcast where me and my friend Adam Colley take one improv idea and do a little workshop on it. So... Um, if you're in a city where you don't have an incredible training center like the nursery, maybe you're in the middle of nowhere and you don't have access to improv teachers, um, this is a workshop for you for your ears, and it's all free, and they come out once a week. Nice. And where do you get your crazy ideas from? Where do I get my crazy, the crazy idea to become an improviser, to make an improv podcast? Uh, uh, well, okay, so some people have suggested that this podcast should follow a similar uh, route to what you do and choose a topic and then talk about a topic each week. I've, uh. re- I've resisted that. <laughs> oh, it sounds like hard work. <laughs> Is it hard work? I suppose because you've got the same you've got the same co-host every week. Yeah. I have a different person each week. Well, I think things are constantly changing in the improv community, and your opinions are changing, and you're discovering things. So it isn't that hard to find an hour of things to talk. I mean, this whole podcast really comes from my relationship with my my co-host Adam. We would probably be having this these conversations anyways if there wasn't a podcast. So we might as well have a podcast, and then we have an excuse to do it. Yes. Yeah. And um, well, that's very much when I set up this podcast. It was having an excuse to sit down with people and talk about improv for an hour. Because why would we do that if we weren't recording it? Absolutely. And like you know, I have a partner who's not an improviser, so it'd be weird if I was like, I gotta go talk to Adam about improv for an hour each week. But a podcast, she's like, I understand that. Yes, it's for your job. Go do your job. So that's great. So what what sort of topics have you discussed? We've done. 160 episodes. Yes, please tell me about them all in order from the Oh beginning. my gosh, what have we talked about? We've talked about technical stuff like, you know, game of the scene, the nature of yes and. We've talked about the business of it, handshaking and relationships and auditioning. And then we've also talked about like the, the big theory stuff. So one of the episodes we did recently, which I thought was really exciting for me, was a um, Johnstonian to modern improv dictionary, which is to take the the terms from old school improv, Keith Johnstone, British Canadian, and and try and translate that to what we're doing in Toronto, which would be more modern, long form improvisation. And they're very similar. If you've ever worked with, with, for me, you know, I've done a little bit of Johnstone, but for the most, I'm I'm dealing with, you know, Dell and Mick. and it's so interesting playing with those people because they do the exact same things as you. Yes. They just call it something different. Yes. I often say um, we're, all, we're all blindfolded and we're all touching the elephant. And we're just <laughs> touching different bits of the elephant. I realize it sounds worse now than <laughs> I thought. But we're all touching the same elephant and that elephant is improv. Whoa. <laughs> so yeah. 
Del Close was feeling the ears. Yeah. Keith Johnston was, I don't know. Uh-huh. I mean, there's a there's a big scientific idea that um, it's, it's called the Grand Unified Theory, I think. And it's that in the, the, the primordial universe, all of the forces were the same. So gravity, um, what are the other forces? Um, uh, nuclear, <laughs> <Love>. <laughs> nuclear, the nuclear force. Yes, um, and. Uh, all, the, all the big science ideas were all connected into to one. Uh, magnetism, that's another force. <laughs> they were all, they're all part of the same thing. And that's what kind of it feels like with improv, where it's like, oh, yeah, we've just broken them apart, but it's all the same energy, they all, all the same thing. Yes, no, I, I, I definitely agree with that. Would you describe yourself as a pillar of the Toronto improv scene? Who could say yes to that? What kind of maniac would say yes to that? Uh, a pillar. A pillar in the way that I've been there a long time. Um, no, I wouldn't say I'm a pillar because if I left, nothing would change. <laughs> Pillars hold things up. I'm just there. <laughs> so... Uh, I'm a wall that you can take down. I'm a non-load-bearing wall. Right. Well, I mean, that's, that's in some ways reassuring. <laughs> so what's the improv scene like in Toronto? Toronto's really interesting. So we have a second city. We've had a second city since 1974. Um, and most of the people who came from there, you would recognize from SCTV. So Eugene Levy, um, uh, Andrea Martin, you know, uh, John Candy was a big part of um, uh, that scene. Um, we've also had the kids in the hall, um, through our theater sports. Um, so second, so second city really is the, the big thrust of our comedy community. And then we have smaller theaters, which is bad dog, which is, is a, a theater sports type theater. They also do narrative improv soap opera type stuff that yeah, you guys yeah. are very familiar with here. There's a place called the assembly, which is a, a long form theater, which is like an IO or UCB. Um, and then we get to this other space and this is really interesting. So there's a space called the Social Capital, which they do classes, but for the most part, it's just two spaces that you can rent. And then another space called Comedy Bar, which has no classes, and it's all rental spaces. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, a very big thrust in our community for a free market. And the free market has been very important to shaping our community. Whereas in Chicago, in New York, in LA, you know, you have these institutions and you get artistic directors and they end up becoming gatekeepers of the kind of improv you do. But I'd say the most important space right now would be Comedy Bar. And anyone can book that space. Ah, interesting. And so if that show does well, you can stay. And if it's not good, you have to leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Or you just can't afford to pay the rent anymore. And so it really kind of nullifies these these big conversations of one person saying, I don't like the way you play Get Out of Here. If you're funny, you can stay. Yeah, and if yeah. you're not funny, please leave. So being funny, is that the point of improv? <laughs> oh, uh-oh, this is a trick. This is a trap, Stuart. I know what you're doing here. <laughs> um, is being funny uh, important? Being effective is important. Affecting others is important. And so what is funny? Like, like there are some shows that are quieter and more introspective. They're not one-liners, but they affect the audience and people want to see those shows. They can stay. There are shows that are just dick jokes for an hour. Yeah. You, are you doing the best version of a dick joke? You are. You can stay. So I think that's important. Again, when you have an artistic director and you say, you know, my mission is this. We're going to do improvised theater. And it's all going to have this tone and sensibilities. So do what I say. You did what I said, but it didn't really work. I'm going to keep you because you're reinforcing my 
uh, mandate. Where for us, you know, long form, short form, no one cares. Stand up, sketch, whatever. Do, does the city like it? Oh, we do. Then you can you can keep doing shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah fair enough. That was a trick Sneaky question. guy. Well, I just don't, I I think yes, improv can be funny, um, but should it be funny? Uh, does it necessarily have to be funny? I would say no. Um, good improv is good. Bad improv is bad. Some good, some good improv is funny, and some bad improv. I don't know. That doesn't quite work, does it? <laughs> my, my thoughts are this: you can you can tell me what improv is. But just go prove to me that you can do the thing you hate. If, if you're ah. going, oh, improv jokes suck and I hate them and they're bad, no problem. Please go on stage and just crush a bunch of improv jokes. Yeah, yeah, if you yeah. go, improv theater is stupid. You know, we shouldn't be doing these relationship grounded things. Give me the jokes. I go, no problem. Just go crush that. And the minute you do that, you have the authority to say so. But I feel like a, a lot of the times people are protecting themselves. Uh, because they're afraid of this area. Yes, And in, in, in Toronto, I feel like, you know, because there's so many different theaters that all have their own different styles, you know, to succeed, you kind of have to master all of them. So you get really good at picking what mode you're in yes. for what kind of show you're doing. So what I try and do as a performer is um, be aware of what my sort of go-to moves are, what I naturally do, and then I try and know that I have that move and I know that that move works but then try and develop other ways of improvising and that sounds like on a, on a small level what you're talking about on a wider level of you know get good at everything and then you can talk about authority about yeah everything. and also you know what you're describing is improv that second step of being like I know I'm good at A so now I have to go do B if you're good at A and you're still doing A for me you are no longer doing our craft which is Putting yourself in a place of danger, unaware if you can land it, and then figuring it out. Like, yes. like I'm thinking about Picasso. You know, he he's in Spain just painting beautiful portraits of someone, and then we don't get cubism. Like the the art part of improv is experimentation and it's risk, right? Yes. So yeah, do the thing that you suck at. Please. Yes, and I'd much rather um, you either you know are amazing or terrible. Either extreme is great, but being lukewarm is like, I'm not really that bothered about watching that, you know? I mean, I don't know if this happens in your city, but I've definitely seen this before where, you know, there's someone who's been improvising for 20 years and they pull out the same character that they've been doing for 20 years. Yes. And everyone's like, we all know you can do this. <laughs> this is an improv jam. There's four people here. Who is this for? <laughs> yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. So you've been in the UK for how long? This is my fourth day. This is fifth your day, fifth, fifth day, day yeah. right? Yeah. And you were up in uh, in Birmingham before now with Ben Hall and Fat Penguin. Tell me about that. Uh, it was great. I mean, I, I know Ben Hall through my podcast, which is the Backline. Um, when I told him I was going to be in the UK for five days, um, he and his partner Mel rushed to set up some workshops. So we did two workshops and two shows, and it was a really lovely time. And, uh, yeah, I love Birmingham. Yeah, it's I very love interesting. Too. Yeah, very, very warm people, very lovely, lovely atmosphere. I can live in Birmingham. And sometimes you meet people who are, who are doing this improv thing, and maybe they're really good at the art piece of it, or they're maybe not good at the business piece of it. And if you're not good at both, it's really hard to build a community because Birmingham is still in a kind of primordial stage. Mm, yes. And Ben and Mel are both great improvisers, 
and like they have this kind of determination. <laughs> I'm like, in in five years, Birmingham will be the place that you go to. Yes, you you will be dying to get into that improv festival or whatever they're going to do. They'll have a theater. I, I just know that they are on the right path. Yes, there's loads of uh, loads of great things happening in Birmingham. John Trevor and Box of Frogs. There's, there's, it's yeah. in a real kind of like exciting phase. So you were running workshops. Uh, what, what, what were your workshops about? I did two workshops. Um, one was just a, a general workshop on discovering the now. That's a really important thing for me, that all scenes take place in the present tense. Um, you know, in long form, which is my specialty, you have this difficulty where people can always tag you out or cut to a different place or walk in. And so when you create an, an opportunity for the future to happen or the past to happen, you are actually denying yourself the scene that you're already in. So if I'm playing with you, yeah. our dynamic has to be so good and so interesting yes. that no one can interrupt it. Oh, wow. Because if it's not... I'm going to get tagged out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's my job. My job in a Herald for 30 minutes is that my scene that, that we're doing together is a seven-minute scene. Yeah. Ten, 15 minutes. That's yeah. how. That's my goal. It probably won't happen. But that's <laughs> my goal. Um, and so I want to eliminate all those other options. Wow. That's uh, that's really interesting. It hadn't occurred to me to think about it in that way. But yeah, I can really see that. Well, you've done jams and you know what it feels like <laughs> to someone to walk into your scene and be like, oh, that isn't helpful at all. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that has been my experience with jams more often than not, despite yeah. the best efforts of the jam captains. <laughs> um, and um, what, uh, it's hard to generalise, but is there things that you noticed about the improvisers in Birmingham that are maybe different from the improvisers in Toronto? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like just doing some workshops here in London and Birmingham, I would say that... Um, very verbal, very clever. Yeah. Dialogue is very rich here. Yes. Um, less likely to do something visceral or an emotional tantrum. Ah. Um, so that's because we're British and we don't do that. We don't do that sort of emotion things <laughs> that you colonial commoners do. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Canada and and British and Britain are both so similar. We have the same rich history of pa passive aggression. Really. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I don't know why why it would be different. I mean, you guys just have a rich history of um, written English, I guess, right? <laughs> I mean, um, this is the home of so much great theater. Canada doesn't have that same tradition. Canada has this kind of underdog mentality, right? We are so close to America. We are so similar to them, but there's just something a little bit off. And so um, we are the weirdos. We have to be the weirdos. Yeah. Um, so weird is something that we feel very comfortable with, and maybe weird isn't the same here. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't say that the weird was necessarily a concept that I'd come across. Can you explain what you mean? Well, I mean, just there's a kind of otherness, right? So you know, you're talking to a Canadian, and then they say about or house, and then uh, you go, "Oh, you're not like me. You're, you're like I can't put my finger on it, but like your accent or your mannerisms, there's just something about you that's a bit off." Um, and I think that's why there's so many funny people in America. So, yeah, I, 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 Jim Carrey, um, <laughs> there's some, everyone from SCTV, uh, Lauren Michaels is Canadian, the kids in the hall are Canadian, uh, Baroness Von Sketch, who are a very big uh, Canadian sketch troupe right now, are doing very well in America. It's all of that otherness, the same but different. Yeah, you know? yeah. Cool. Yeah. 
You uh, have written a book, Improvising Now, A Practical Guide to Modern Improv. Thank you for reading the title <laughs> available on Amazon. I had deal. written that one down. <laughs> nice title for uh, SEO. Uh, so, I mean, what inspired you to write a book? I always kind of wanted to put my thoughts about improv into a book. And I played a very dumb game where I pretended I was going to die in a year. And I looked at my life and just thought, what do I want to do? Okay, I want to write this book. And when I played that game, I was able to finish it. Otherwise, I was just kind of, you know, messing around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And I think the book was important to me because when I was 16 years old, I was uh, part of a community theater group that did mostly musicals. And it was older people, all who were 25, and I was 16. And for some reason, I got put in charge of an improv show. They said, you're funny. Yeah, that's great. And so my mom went to the library and got a copy of Truth and Comedy. And I read Truth and Comedy. And then I took 14 of my friends and tried to direct a Herald after <laughs> never having seen a Herald or done a Herald. And my only improv experience was Who's Lying? But that's such a common ex- common story time after time. Uh-huh. I hear people have like, you know, I got a copy of a book and we, we've read what the Herald was, yeah. for example, and then we gave it a try. Uh-huh. And it's just, I mean, but I think that's brilliant. I think more people should do that. Well, then I went and took my first Herald class and realized that what I had taught them was nothing like a Herald. <laughs> uh, and so I had to call everyone up and apologize and be like, don't do that. Don't do that in public. <laughs> Can you remember what you'd done differently we just didn't have any scenic structure so like there was no yes and there was no like object work it was just people standing around and it was like game of the scene and connections but without any like theater to it right so it was very very weird um and a lot of the improv books are written by old men who haven't been improvising in 30 years Ah. and so all of the technique that we have is from the perspective of someone sitting in the front row being like, show me the thing I want to see. Like, do the thing that makes me and the audience happy. And so this book was about, no, 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 I'm with you on stage. We're in the scene together. I'm going to try and help you do the scene. So it's it's not from the perspective of director or a teacher. It's from the perspective of an improviser, Ah. maybe like a big brother, who's trying to help you navigate scenes. And they're really hard. So um, that was kind of the point of the book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's your, um, this is quite a broad question, but what's your kind of improv ethos? Whoa. Uh, yeah. Interpret that in whatever way. So if I, if I'm picking up this book, what kind of, what perspective are you coming from? That sort of thing. Well, the improvising now is an important piece. The now is very important. We talked about, I have to be in the scene. And then the the modern is the other piece for me, the modern improv piece. You know, old school improv, which I would describe as Johnstonian, is all about story. It's about what happens next. So, you know, we're hanging out. Do you want to go to the store? Yes, and let's go to the store. And then something <laughs> weird happens at the store. Um, so it's always about these kind of revolutions that are happening, narrative revolutions. And I'd say m- modern improv, what we're doing in Toronto, is not about story. Story is something that happens to you when you're busy with something else. And the thing that we're busy with is behavior. How am I treating you and how are you treating me? So, you know, if you might think about a Greek tragedy where there's all these different things happening and people are learning a lesson, there's a moment of catharsis. That is theater, but also waiting for Godot is theater. Mm. It's more existential in nature. And so this book, Improvising Now, is, is really about 
sitting in the moment and, and being stuck in the moment. Um, and there's also some big pieces there about long form, about second beats and how to build a show, um, how to find theme. Um, yeah, basically it's the book that I wanted when I went to the library to go get Truth and Comedy. <laughs> right. I yeah, wanted yeah. this book to help me understand <laughs> Truth and Comedy. <laughs> right, yeah, So yeah. that was the book I wrote. But nobody else had written it, so you needed to write it yourself. I guess so. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to send that back to 16-year-old me. Yeah. <laughs> that was, that's, that's a great thing to do. Um, so you currently teach um, at Second City. Yeah. Um, and also the Assembly. Mm-hmm. What, what's that like? Great. Really good. Give me more details. <laughs> No, 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 no. It's great. I mean, Second City's incredible. It's a multi-million dollar improv corporation. It's the most successful sketch and improv theater that has ever existed. Um, so that's lovely. And um, you get to meet a lot of people. And it's a, it's a great gig. And I got to direct there. And I got to be on stage there. And for 10 years of my life, Second City was like everything to me. So what sort of... Um, what sort of- do you have particular classes that you regularly teach there? Yeah. Which, which ones? Do you specialize in stuff? I mean, I was one of the youngest... At the time when I first started teaching, I was one of the youngest teachers who was hired. So I would teach the ADE program, which is beginners. I would teach the writing program, which is written sketch. Uh, I teach in the long-form program. Uh, I used to be the program head of the long-form program. It's something I was really passionate about. And then I also would teach in the conservatory uh, program, which is high-level classes for people who want to improvise into written sketches. All right, yeah. So yeah. you improvise into like an SNL-type show. Um, and I, I really enjoyed that. Um, the classes I don't teach in are like clown. Um, I, I mean, I do teach sometimes like acting or improv for actors, but I don't yeah. teach acting for improvisers. Right, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And then a, a couple stand-up. I wouldn't do a stand-up class. But everything else I teach. So if someone came along to um, uh, your class and that, that they were a complete beginner, mm-hmm. what would you introduce them to first? I think the first thing that you want to learn is just like the culture of improv. You know, in Toronto, we don't say yes and literally on stage. It's not something that we do. Professional improvisers don't literally say yes and to their partner. But they say yes and in spirit. So that's the thing you want to get into your bones. You want to get like theatricality and yes and and community and fun and play into your bones. And so I'm probably going to use a bunch of those Johnstonian terms and exercises that help facilitate that. And then when they get to like level D and level E, that's when you go, wait a second, it's a bit more complicated than you thought it was. But it's too late. You already love improv. So now you have to fucking deal with this comedy math that we're all doing in our heads on stage. Um, yeah, that, that would be the first thing. And the other place it teaches the assembly, which is um, a very experimental, um, complicated, long form company. Uh, I used to I used to run this this program at a second city called uh, it was the long form conservatory, uh, basically conservatory but for long form improvisation, um, and and during uh, some some movement of the theater the train center had to move spaces and they lost a bunch of their studios, so my program ended up getting cut which is fine, I totally understand why that happened. The lovely thing that came out of it is a bunch of my students went no 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 we still want to do this work, and so they created their own long form wow. company um, and now they are like the experts in long form and they run these classes um, and they're doing really really well they have shows um, and that's a lovely place to go to um, because I can I can teach the thing I love which is long form 
and I can be as nerdy as I want. About it. <laughs> I can make it as complicated as I want. Um, so yeah, those are the two places I teach right now. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. And you said you were um, the uh, long form at Second City. You were managing the long form program. Yeah. What did that involve? I mean, you know, uh, you guys have free association here. Um, in America, it would be UCB or IO. You know, for Toronto, we didn't have a lot of long form in the the early '90s. It was it was mostly theater, sports, and sketch. That's what we were doing. Theater sports, by the way, I am in love with. I don't think I'd like it because I don't really like sport. Uh, <laughs> but I love theater. Okay, but you've got you've got you've got theater and you put sports in. It. But I saw. Um, well, first of all, I met Patrick Short from uh, Comedy Sports Portland okay. recently, who was a really great guy. And when I was in Liverpool recently, I saw um, Comedy Sports uh, Manchester. Uh-huh. Uh, and they were just like, wow, this is hilarious. I'm just like, I'm laughing all the time. I should see more improv like this. This is brilliant. Yeah. I'm really huge. Just like, I thought I wouldn't like it. And then I saw it and I oh, actually, this is amazing. It's very interesting because comedy sports and theater sports are very different. Oh, right. Um because theater sports would be Keith's um, version yes. of competitive improv, and you need a license to do theater sports. Yes, you do. That. Comedy yes. sports, I think, um, was very similar, but they didn't want to pay the license. Right. So they started doing their own thing, and so it is theater sports, but it started to mutate a little bit. So it's it's, it's a little bit different. Right. Yes. No. Because I've seen. Yes. Thank you for that. Because yeah. I ha- I had conflated the two in my mind. Yeah. So it's comedy sports that I'm thinking about at the moment, and they have all the kind of the sporting uh, uniform. That's not the word for it, is it? That's not what sports people wear. The kids. jerseys. Yeah, that's it. Sure. Whatever sports people wear. Yeah. And they have whistles and they do yeah. sporty things like that. Yeah. Um, which I thought would be a real turn off, but actually, I absolutely really really enjoyed. Want to hear something else nuts? Is there's another kind of um, competitive improv called match I've never even heard of that so in South America that is the dominant kind of improv it's called match wow and it comes out of Quebec out of all places um, and that is like super theater sports so they wear the jerseys it's based on hockey could right. be more Canadian <laughs> but there are penalties and if you say no in a scene that's a penalty you go in the box if you swear you go in the box oh really yeah, yeah, yeah. so um, you get points off the points matter it's like who's lying but wow evil who's lying the points do matter wow and so South America is Mexico all match really yeah. wow France it moved to France so there's another Keith Johnstone another Del Close who is French in Quebec who's written books and that's who the French speaking world follows wow I never even, I didn't know that. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Canada is a very weird place for improv. We have, <laughs> for some reason, Canada's very improv friendly and I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I interrupted you. You were talking about long form at Second City oh, and programming. That. That's good. It's good. No, I'm really, I'm really fascinated because I've never heard of the yeah. match before, but I'm just try, trying to make sure that the listeners aren't going, well, he asked a question and then he interrupted. I should that be was listening. The end of it. I should be writing a letter to this, this podcast. And, um, so, um, so yeah, so in the 90s, there wasn't a lot of long form. And then, um, you know, I guess the 2000s when, when I started, um, we were really excited about long form. I mean, I, I did that Herald in high school. And I was like, that's what improv is. Um, there was another company called the Inpatient Theater Company, which is a kind of like the assembly. It was a long form company trying to do a UCB style. And um, the solution for the long form program, which we didn't have a lot of long form, 
I'm going to get in trouble. Here's what I want to say. There was long form, but it was a kind of narrative, John Stonian long form. It wasn't the kind of game-based long form that I guess I'm, I'm talking about, which I would consider to be like modern long form. <laughs> um, so the solution was just grabbing a bunch of people from Chicago and just putting them in workshops. Wow. So we just got a bunch of people always coming through here, uh, teaching us. And so that created a lot of great uh, information for us that we were really excited about. But then something happened. Sharna Halpern came up from the IL and she taught a cat's cradle workshop. And she wrote in her blog, I had such a, a great time in Toronto. It reminds me of the eighties in Chicago. Um, it's a like a nice little scene. If they if they keep at it, they can really do something. And we all went, nope, no thank you. We don't want to be patronized in this way. We are not like Chicago Junior. We are our own city. And when that happened, it changed everything. And so we started looking at our own shows. Um, right now, I would say we don't really have many guests come through. We don't try and import other ideas. It really is about who in our city that we love, that we care about. We started creating our own forms, our own formats. Um, and now Toronto-style long form is different than anywhere else in the world. Wow. Um, you know, we, we don't do UCB-style heralds. We don't do IO-style heralds. We do, like, this Toronto herald. Um, yeah. Uh, and so it's a really exciting place to be. Anyways, um, uh, the, the work that I was doing at ITC and Bad Dog, the, the long form work, um, we started creating our own terms and our own philosophy. And I thought, I want to teach a class in this. I taught a Game of the Scene class for a while. It was really successful. So we created Game of the Scene 2. At that point, I was like, fuck it, let's just do a program. Four levels. And then by the time it was done, I think it had something like nine levels to it. Wow. Yeah, it was a lot. So, a couple of questions. <laughs> Why are people obsessed with Harold's? And how is a Toronto Harold different from a normal Harold? Whew, big questions. Big questions here. So while you're thinking about that, because I'm I'm not obsessed, I'm not in love with the Harold as a form. Yeah. If I see a group come on stage and they go, oh, hi, we're um, or whoever, and we're going to do a Harold, I'm like, oh, no. If, Please If don't. there's someone, someone who does Harold nonstop, if I'm like, we're going to do a Herald, and someone's like, yes, I'm like, that person's a psycho, get them out of the theater. <laughs> the Herald sucks, and everybody hates it, and no one's had a good time watching it. <laughs> Maybe I've seen two good Heralds in my whole lifetime. <laughs> but why do we, why are we obsessed with the Herald? Well, the Herald's important for us, number one, because it um, builds skill. Like, the thing that we want to do with all these formats is get structure into our bones. Improv is, is chaotic by nature. When we do a really difficult format that's structured like that, one ABC, we are getting a kind of structure in our bones. And it creates a vocabulary that we have with our partner that we kind of know what's going to happen next. That's That scaffolding is really important. I'd say the troops that I love don't do a Herald like 1A, 1B, 1C open or group game. They just do an open montage, but that you see the Herald while they play. But there's another question there. So that's maybe what the value of the Herald is. I've, I've never seen a classical Herald where I was like, thank you for doing that. <laughs> but why, do, why are we obsessed with the Herald? Because improv is a, a modernist tradition. Um, you know, before I was an improviser, I was in art school. I was a painter and a, a printmaker. And I gave up art because I looked at the history of art and went, you know, 
we've given up on originality and art. There's so many things that have been made that now we're into this like postmodern phase where we're just kind of redigesting things that have already been made. But improv, I looked at it and went, oh my gosh, this is 50 years old. We still don't know what we're doing. There's new things that we can do here. And now Harold is potter, pot of, part of that um, modernist excitement where you go, we can push this forward. We can do something. So for us, uh, the Herald is fine. We actually do a much more complicated format called The Maker. Wow. And The Maker in, in Toronto, the, the Maker is you take a suggestion not for the content of the show, but for the whole structure of the show. So imagine like making, like you spend six months working on a format. I was working with um, a great troupe here called Buffet, and they're, um, they're doing a thing called The Cause, which is like an improvised protest. And so they're working really hard on it, and they got all these little structure pieces together. In Toronto, we go, can we have a suggestion? Protest, and we're going to do that right on the spot for you. That's an impossible task. But that's what's exciting to me about modern improv, is being like, how far can we push this? Um, Can we get away with this? And maybe you fail at your makers, and maybe the maker isn't a great form, or maybe the herald isn't a great form. But by reaching for that thing that's, that's... um, larger than your grasp, you accidentally have access to something that when you take a step back, you're better than you were to begin with. Ah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So even if you don't, even if you don't reach the stars, you might land on the moon, something like that. I think so. <laughs> so, um, so can you talk me through the maker? How does the maker oh work? My gosh, there's another question I missed there, and I forget what it was. I'm sorry, it was a two-parter. You got me on a two-parter. So, so I wanted you to know. I wanted to know about the Toronto Herald. Is that the Toronto Herald is the maker? Is that different? No, they're different. Okay, okay. So. Let me write down the maker, and we can talk about whatever you want first. <laughs> I love this. I love the idea that it feels like summer camp, and you have a little list of things that I, we're going to do. I do. I do. Toronto Herald. How's the Toronto Herald different? Well, I mean, mostly comes from our definition of game of the scene. So, you know, Free Association or UCB, we'd be looking for that one weird thing. And if that's true, then what else is true? And I'd say for, for the most part, what we're doing, at least at the assembly, is that our definition of the game of the scene is a repeated pattern of behavior expressed between two people. And that's about discovery, and it's about direct energy at you. Um, we also are a big fan of discovery versus invention. So invention looks like this. It, it basically means I reach into the the improv ether and pull out information and say it at you that you have no um, you have no involvement in its creation. Hello, Stuart. Here we are inside the pickle factory, and you are my manager. And it is five o'clock. You did not consent to be in that scene with me. I put that on you. Yeah. Versus the idea of me going, nice out. I don't know what that means, but I'm going to keep talking about how beautiful and nice it is. And together, we're going to kind of figure out a who, what, where. So I'd say a lot of what Toronto is doing right now is is about first beats. Um, and also, yeah, I mean, I think our second beats are pretty different as well, too. Um, I think we just kind of have a different comedy math than maybe elsewhere in the world. What do you mean by comedy math? Well, you know, like how... Um, you know, in the Matrix, Neo looks at the world. And he's able to just to see the code. Right. Yeah, What's yeah, the yeah. thing underneath your scenes? Right. So is it narrative? Is it game of the scene? Like, like what? What's the shared mental model that we have when we step on stage? Well, the assembly has kind of created their own vocabulary and their own terms that you would hear um, that you wouldn't hear anywhere else in the world. So um, it's a it's a stylistic thing. Yeah. Um, and I, I think you know. For the most part, I think New York and L.A., well, there's 
There's an improv scene in L.A., but basically it's the Chicago scene that has moved to the L.A. <laughs> but for New York and Chicago, these are such big scenes with such big institutions that kind of pump out similar work. Right. And it, one thing that's really exciting about places like Toronto or London, although it's a massive city, it's, it's you know, you guys are away from the mothership. Copenhagen is away from the mothership. That we take these ideas... And just because of our culture and the way we've already been doing stuff and the fact that we get to experiment with it, we change it and then we make it into something new. And yeah. that's what's exciting about improv around the world, where the Herald in Chicago, not interested in, the Herald in London, the Herald in Copenhagen, that's different. And they're going to be completely different formats from each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Cool. Talking of formats, tell me about The Maker. The Maker. Awesome. Whew, the Maker was a solution to deal with theme. <laughs> theme is a big thing for us. So... You know, when you take the suggestion of um, war, what does it look like in a regular montage? Well, war, thank you very much. And then you and I both step out with rifles and go, we got to kill those Germans. Absolutely. But I want to talk to you about something. You know, I feel like you've been leaving a lot of your towels around. <laughs> and then we have a nice little joke. And then, then we go to the next scene. We sweep. And then we do a scene about oranges. And then we do a scene about um, the beach. And then we never talk about war ever again. So... We pretend that the suggestion is so important. We do the first scene about war, and then we go, see you later. The Maker was a way for us to address theme in a more uh, serious way. So we would take the suggestion of war. We do an opener that's quite violent and graphic and horrible. Then we would do our first scene, which is peaceful. There's no war in it. And then as the show continues, each scene gets progressively more warlike. Oh, wow. The last scene of the show is the most violent, disturbing, horrific scene we can possibly give to you. Wow. And it's not funny and it's not yeah. enjoyable, but you asked us yeah. to show you what war feels like. We're going to make war feel that way. And you could also say unicorn yeah. and we'll make it more beautiful. Yeah. But it's about really giving you the experience of what you've asked for versus just talking about it. And then every like improv has a kind of musicality to it. This was a way for us to be like, no, 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 no. These scenes will be based on what it feels like to um, uh, to have this suggestion. What the suggestion feels like, that's the thing we're going to improvise. That's really interesting. So so the first scene is uh, is like a full-on uh, embodiment of the suggestion. And then are you, for the, the sorry, the, the, the opener, and then for the first scene, are you then going to the opposite of that so you can then start building back towards yeah. war? Wow. And then also in the opener, it's very specific. So we're creating rules. And um, those rules define how we treat each other and how we treat the audience. So the opener is quite boring. But if we were to talk about war, we'd say, you know, this war is violent. And we know in the opener, for us, there's a subtext. What we're, not say we're not saying that um, this war is violent because there is no war. It's imaginary. We're saying this show is violent. So what's a violence and improv look like? Well, probably means you're being interrupted a lot. Probably these walk-ins and tag-outs, and the sweeps are fucking mean. They're vicious <laughs> sweeps. Yeah. Um, what are, what's something else that's true about war? Um, wh war is uh, about um, two different opinions. Great. So maybe the show, maybe as the show continues, we break up into two groups. And so maybe I only play with my half, and you only play with your half. These are all the things that we're kind of figuring out. We don't tell the audience that. No, no, no. We're just saying war is violent. Uh, war is about two different groups with two different opinions. Yada, yada, yada. So as we're kind of 
laying out these describing war, we're creating a subtext or rules for us that we're going to implement later in the show. Suddenly, when in the middle of our troop, me and you are playing, I go, hey, Stuart, fuck you, buddy. You know, I've been taking class with this asshole for so long. He keeps doing these narrative fucking scenes. And we know that everyone on this side, we love game-based. So fuck you guys. (laughs) And the audience is going, whoa, that's a weird thing. That's not like a regular improv show. And then after a while, that, that that menace stuff starts to happen more. They go... Oh, it, it's happening to us. We we asked the gods for something, and now we're seeing it, and it's it's a curse. War is a curse. This is not a good feeling of a show. Right? That sounds amazing. Sometimes really... it is, and sometimes it's just just nonsense. Well, that's improv. <laughs> sometimes yeah. it's amazing, yeah. sometimes it's terrible. But that's a really interesting way because I have a big problem with taking suggestions, partly because I instantly forget them and then just do something else anyway. Yeah. So the idea of actually... You know, putting it into the putting it into the whole show. I think that's a really powerful well, idea. I would love that. I think that's what you should do. With like, if you're going to value suggestions, then that's what you should do. Yeah. I, I think like me and Adam were in a troop called Arn and Calls, and we do this little joke where we'll take um, about twenty suggestions and then not use any of them and not explain it to the audience. <laughs> and and no one has ever had a problem with that. <laughs> no one's been like that show was hilarious, but you didn't say applesauce, so give me my money back. <laughs> But I think of the piece that's interesting for me about that is the suggestion taking is ritual. It's mm. ceremony. Yes. It is a psychic transfer of you, the audience. I take your, your word and now I am your champion and now I'll perform on your behalf because you're too afraid to go on stage and I'm not. So I'm going to do the thing that you want to see. But does it literally, because when you're yelling out Starbucks bathroom, <laughs> do you really want to see that? No, you just want to be involved. So I, I don't necessarily know if we need to do the content I think the suggestions is more about the energy exchange there. I know that sounds very hippie of me. No, I, I like that. Yeah. I'm a hippie. Right? <laughs> um, that sounds amazing. So you mentioned RN and Calls. Yeah. Is that the name? Yeah. And is that just you and Adam? Me and Adam. Yeah. Tell, tell me about that show. If we went to see that show, well, obviously I know you take 20 suggestions and then ignore them. <laughs> but what else could I expect if I went to see you two? Before? It's an improvised one-act play right. with Adam and I. It's a narrative show. So, you know, we are game-based improvisers. We feel very comfortable in a montage. For 15 years, we did a show called Mantown. And the premise of that show is doing complicated long form while being blackout drunk. Um, Yeah, yeah. So, Art and Calls was an answer to a kind of work that we were already doing. And we were like, cool, we know how to do that. We want to do this other thing right now. It's personal. It's slower. No one can tag in. No one can walk in. It's the beauty of playing as a duo. Yeah. And you're stuck out there. And so that show is and was really exciting because we're telling full stories. Um, And if the story's bad, then the whole show is bad. There's no way out of it. Um, So, yeah, it's slower scenes, a bit more grounded really fun to do and very scary to do on tour yeah yeah because if you're doing a a montage and you pooch it you get like five more chances but if you're on tour people have paid you to fly out there and they're taking your workshop and then you pooch it in the first scene (laughs) and then you're stuck doing it for 20 minutes and you lose all your authority um yeah the stakes are a little bit higher would you ever go oh no we're gonna start again no 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 because also like I think if you have that mindset, then you can never do a good scene. Like, aren't, aren't you like the 
karate guy punching through the board where you're like, I'm going to do this impossible. Like the maker is impossible. It's a dumb, stupid thing that no one should do. But you're like, I want to see if we can do this impossible thing. And then maybe we'll come up with something that's not what we wanted to do, but just as cool. Or you're doing a a one act play with two people. Yeah. You have to have the mindset of like, we're going to kill it tonight because otherwise you'll never be able to do that show ever. (laughs) And also sometimes it's hard to judge a story until the story's ended. Sure. And, you know, what might have been, you think, oh, I might have messed up that start. But then by the end of it, you might be able to weave it all together. So it's really hard to know. And if I stopped the show and then redid it, it's not like it would be a fresh start. The fart of the first show <laughs> would be there in the second show. And it's like, okay, well, might as well just stay in the first thing. <laughs> yes. And see if we can fix that. Yes. Versus, yeah. Making two bad shows. Yeah, yes. You see, we just done one bad show. We'll make one really bad show <laughs> as opposed to two, two really lesser bad shows. <laughs> um, you're also in Strike. Strike! Tell me about Strike. Strike is an assembly house team. Um, when I left Mantown, uh, I got the great opportunity of basically putting together a long-form team of all my favorite people. Brilliant. Uh, it's it's weird. I, I, had a, I got mugged, and my foot got broken, and I had three screws drilled into my foot and so I couldn't improvise for about eight months and uh and, and one of the things that you realize when you're out of commission in that way and, and you, your whole life is improv you realize how many relationships you have are just shows yeah. where it's like I see you every week so we're and we're friendly yeah. so we're friends Stuart but when I can't do a show and I don't see you anymore and we don't have a relationship anymore you're like holy shit man like who's who am I friends with right yes. Uh, I'm friends with improv and improv happens to be friends with you. That's what it feels like. So strike was kind of a nice way for me to get together with all my favorite people who I worked with at second city and other shows and just, just put them in a show, give us a reason to be together and play together. And the premise of that show is kind of like the maker. Almost we get together the night of and 20 minutes before the show, we try and come up with a format and then try and do that format in front of everyone. That sounds stressful. It's uh, it's so fun and it it it's so cool. And sometimes it goes so wrong. The show's called the experiment that we do, so people kind of know what they're they're um, in for. But um, I, I don't know if, if the show was like, okay, all the best people get together and we do a montage. I'd be like, that's what we're good at. Yeah. I don't want to do that show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we know we can do that. Yeah. So what's the point? That's. We, we, uh, last show we did, we got together, there's only three of us, and we tried to improvise a Tarantino movie, <laughs> and we didn't tell the audience we were trying to do a Tarantino movie, and it worked out okay, but, like, playing it and playing through it, I was like, oh, I get it now, like, we can make that better. We'll probably never do it, we'll probably never, like, fine-tune it, but just that that danger to consider something you've never thought about doing. Like, okay, we're doing a Tarantino movie. How does it work? Okay, I guess we could try and do this. We'll try it on stage. Oh, that worked. That didn't work. Oh, we, we could make that so much better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is so fun to me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's the one of the joys of improv. It's um, showstoppers talk about smug prof. And um, if we see an improv group come on and they just perform everything perfectly it's a little bit smug it's a little bit clever whereas if we can see people struggling slightly we want to see them as they walk along the trapeze we want to see them wobble a bit we want them to make it there but even if we just see them wobble a little bit that's that brings the moment alive and you can really enjoy that what you're talking about is the two stories right like so we're playing together and there's a story which is the story of our characters 
but the subtext, the subtextual story is the knowledge that the audience knows that we don't know what we're doing and we're fucked. And so short form really focuses on that stress of we don't know what we're doing and long form tries to hide that second uh. story. Um, but if you've ever seen a beginner class or taught a beginner class, like a level two, and they go on stage and they're, they're playing their short form games for the first time, and the audience loves it and they're killing, and you know as a teacher, you're like, this isn't that good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you go to do your show with a bunch of vets, and the audience is just like, we don't give a shit about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's because the students, every time they're doing something, it's new, and we see the sparkle in their yeah. eyes. And when we, when we watch that 20-year vet do, do sparkle, Jorge, the Spanish waiter for the 500th time, he's dead in the eyes. Yeah. And we go, oh, there's no danger. There's no magic. There's no second story happening. It's that, it's that, um, it's that magic of the beginner improviser surprising themselves and, uh-huh. you know, and the audience at the same time. It's, yeah, just delightful to watch. Well, that's the invention discovery piece as well, too. Because when I say, hey, Dad, good to see you here at the county fair. You're making the prize pie that's going to get first place. That's not fun you're not you're not seeing me surprised because i'm just inventing and then throwing it at you versus when we play with nothing when i put myself in a place of need that i need something from you that i'm forced to discover with you and when i realize when we're 30 not 30 minutes when we're 10 minutes into our 30 minute show and all of a sudden i realize oh you're chained up and i'm a serial killer holy shit, that's crazy. And the audience gets to see me realize that for yeah, the first time. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's the magic of improv, right? That's amazing. So, if someone were to step on stage with you, what could they do to delight you? They could have fun. I don't care about anything else. Like, I want to see someone who is so powerful and so engaged in the thing that they're doing that it almost knocks me off my track. Right. I want I want to play with people who who have the full thing. Um, the thing that doesn't delight me is when people try and latch onto whatever my thing is, or they're asking permission for stuff. Ah. And I think for me, improv is all about experience. It's not about performance; it's about experience. So there's a difference between um, performing sad and being sad, right? So you probably have seen this. Is someone sad and they're rubbing under their eyes and going, yeah. oh, I'm so sad. <laughs> but when you think about sadness, like crying is such a small piece of that. Can you actually make yourself feel sad? And then can you apply that sadness in real life to what's happening on stage? Well, I can. But then I have been described as my signature move being looking sad and leaving the stage. <laughs> that apparently is my go-to move. <laughs> well, that's something else. That's I guess I guess that piece is like, you know, you're already good at this piece and now you're finding these other things. But, but I think the, the part that's important for me is that like, th- again, this is a fantastical space. And so in this fantasy, I want you to experience it completely. Yes. And I want you to have so much fun with it. And by you, by you having fun, I allow, I'm allowed to experience it completely. And between that, we have these sparks and the sparks are not conflict, but contrast. Yeah. And, and we get to discover the mystery of, of how our two experiences interact with each other. And when that happens, that's a fucking delight. I'm, I'm a big proponent against the idea that, you know, you create something and then I have to add something that fits perfectly. I love that contrast because then you get to unpack it. Yes. So you can agree that you're both on the beach, but you don't have to agree um, that necessarily... 
either I, I'm just sort of thinking about agreement. There are, you might do not deny the base reality, but you don't have to fit within that reality. But you might both accept that you're there. I think so much of what I'm doing is the base reality is background. It is um, it's the painting of the sunset in a movie set. <laughs> I know this is a bad, bad example, but like we're on a beach. I don't have any problem with that because I don't give a shit about that. What I care about is guilty. I'm guilty and everything you do makes me feel more guilty. We're on a beach. Cool. I can be guilty on a beach. We're on space. I don't care. Uh, I'm guilty that we're in space. The <laughs> guilty piece is the important thing that I want to hold on to because that's that's my inspiration. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So I'm playing with you who is, um, let's say, you're bullying me and I'm guilty. Cool. Uh, I'm more excited about you bullying and me guilty the the beach part that's the least interesting part for me and and that that's kind of a side effect of doing a lot of long form because in a second beat which is we're taking the game and and putting it somewhere else the thing that can't move forward is the who what where right we can't do another scene in the beach so now we take you to your job and you're bullying someone else now you're bullying your boss in the next scene so long form improvisers know that the beach doesn't matter because it doesn't move forward. The behavior moves forward, right. and that's the thing that we're focused on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool, cool, cool. So what is your signature move? What is the thing that saves the day, brings down the house, has everyone going, classic Norman? Brings down the house. I don't know if I have a bring down the house move. Um, it depends on what show it is. I'm a big fan of, um, like, big ideas. So that would probably be the thing I'm excited about. I love, like, mythology, and I love, um, like, weird science stuff. Like, those are the things that excite me. So big ideas, which are probably annoying to my troop mates. <laughs> um, also, for, for 15 years, I was in this troop where um, there, there was only three of us, and we were doing 30 minutes. And so that causes some problems with editing. Um, and so I force myself to get really good at monologues. Oh, interesting. And that was just a stopgap to give yeah. my partners a breath to drink beer and then come play again. So monologues are things that I feel pretty comfortable with. How do you get good at monologues? You have to. You're three people. Yeah. So like, you know, um, someone's two people are playing a scene. You're the person who's going to sweep. So I'm going to sweep and then I'm going to play with another person and then someone's going to sweep and then like... There's just not enough combinations where you can catch your breath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the monologue is different, and it gives everyone a little bit of a rest. And so at first, I was really, really bad at them, and now I feel okay <laughs> at them. But again, I don't know if that brings the house down. That's more of like a solution to a logistical problem than a bring the house down move. Yeah. So it's good to have it in your in your toolkit. It's fun. It's fun. Telling, like, what, what did I do the other day? I was doing a cyberpunk monologue to 100 people who probably doesn't, don't know what cyberpunk is. And they don't care that I'm on a motorcycle and I'm hacking the system. But the audacity to make 100 people be like, hey, everybody, look at me. I'm doing this very dumb thing that you've never heard of. Sit in it for five minutes, please. That brings me a lot of joy. Fantastic. Um, okay, so big last question. What would you like to see more of in the improv scene? In Toronto? In Toronto. In the world. In the world. I mean, the thing that I'm looking for is different things. And I think, you know, touring 
one thing that's so lovely about it is you're figuring out two things, improv culture and culture culture. And, you know, we talked earlier about being away from the mothership and things mutating, like from theater sports to comedy sports is a mutation. It's just, you know, in America, they were so removed from Keith that, that comedy sports took life. Um, match in South America, that's so far from its hockey origin. It's about soccer now, football. And, uh, and it's mutated a bunch of times. London, watching you guys play, it's so different than how I play in Toronto. Copenhagen, it's different. That's the exciting thing for me. And I think, you know, the big successes that I'm seeing in Canada and probably the rest of the world, it's not the major cities that are are having the big boom of um, improv technique. Um, it's these smaller cities with boutique improv theaters who the rent is cheap and people are bored. And that's where you're seeing a lot of explosive growth. And in 10 years, all of those theaters are all going to have different techniques and vocabulary and different kinds of shows. And then we will be in a whole different world because there will be thousands of different ways to play. And I cannot wait to go to each of those cities and be like, teach me, teach me. How does this work? I want to do this. Teach me how to do this thing. I think that's the part that I'm excited for. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. Thank you for being a guest on the Improv London podcast. Stuart, thank you so much for having me. Is it usually this technical? Uh, can be. Yeah, can <laughs> okay, be. good. Can good, be. Good, it good. can go in all sorts of directions. I, I like getting technical. Good. Thanks. I had a good time getting technical with you as well, too. Fantastic. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Bye. Bye. See you later, guys. I made this. That's improv. <laughs> That's improv.